Hey y'all, my name is Brayden, also known as OK Country over on Twitter, and welcome to the This Is Country podcast, where I talk to country's best artists and songwriters to go behind the scenes of their creative process, their career, and the music industry. For this episode, I had the pleasure of talking with John Bauman, a singer-songwriter from Texas who has spent the last few years gaining major momentum in the country music scene due to his top-tier lyricism and relatable vocal style. You'll hear all about John's songwriting process, the making of his excellent new album Country Shade, and his role in the Panhandlers, a West Texas country music supergroup which released its phenomenal debut album back in March 2020. Let's get right into the conversation. So I always like to start these things off by kind of digging into the background of the artists I talk to, um, because I think that gives a lot of context about the music and the artists behind the music. So can you start off just by telling me a little bit about your childhood and growing up down in Texas and how music was a part of your life early on? Sure thing. Um, I grew up in San Antonio, Texas, and I really didn't get uh, exposed to the kind of country music that I uh, am so interested in until probably I was in uh, high school. I started hearing it um, on some of my local stations, not the major mainstream stations, but some of the smaller independent stations, and I would hear it. Um, you know, I'd go to summer camp and people would be, be playing certain artists and I just kind of fell in love with it. And, uh, that just kind of planted a seed and, um, I was probably 14 when that happened. I'm 32 now. So, you know, it was 18 years ago or whatever, but, um, yeah, it's, it's hard to escape in Texas. Like it's, it's everywhere. So, um, yeah, it's, it's easy to get to fall in love with. Absolutely. So do you have any particular artists or albums or songs that made an early impact on you and really kind of just showed you what country music was all about and really just kind of ignited that passion in you? Yeah, I would say Robert Earl Keen was the first guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I was really into Pat Green and Corey Morrow in their heyday. Um, yeah. Just being, a, just being a teenager when they were, you know, larger than life. Um but Robert Earl was kind of the the very first guy uh, that I was really really into what he was doing. Uh huh. That's awesome. So, at what point were you able to decide that you wanted to pursue a career in music? Was it kind of a conclusion that was more gradual? Took a while. Took a few years to come to, or was there like a specific moment where you're like, okay, I I'm gonna do music. This is something I have to do. What was that whole process like for you? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, when I was 22, I started really kind of starting to write songs and kind of take it seriously and play open mics. And at that moment, like internally, I kind of had this feeling like, oh, I think I want to do this for the rest of my life. Um, Or I know I want to do this for the rest of my life. But it wasn't really until probably uh, five years later that I was able to fully commit to it. I think at 26 or 27, I finally quit my day job after a few times of you know, stops and starts of like having a job and trying to make a go of it in music. I wasn't, it wasn't until I was like 26 or 27 that I was able to like, you know, jump, jump off the, you know, the diving board and and get into it, you know? Yeah. So what was it like for those years where you, you know, you had the day jobs and you're also trying to do the music. It's, it's a grind. It is nonstop hard work, no sleep. 
just working and working and working. So what was it like trying to kind of initially before you just dove straight into music, balance all of that stuff and make a living, but also try and do the music? It was very difficult. Uh, I had a mm -hmm. job working for a nonprofit that required like 150% of my attention. Mm -hmm. And I was working, you know, Monday through Friday. And then, you know, Thursday night, I'd leave town to go play a gig. Friday night, I'd leave. T it was a job I had to work on Saturdays a lot oh, yeah. too. So like, I was like kind of pulling double duty and kind of doing things in secrecy and sneaking off to play gigs. And um, it was incredibly taxing. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah. So next, I want to shift a little bit into the songwriting sides of things. So, I mean, just with everything you've written, you're just a lyrical genius in my mind. Um, of course, you know, like high quality and thought provoking songwriting is at the core of country music. And I honestly think your songwriting was what initially drew me into your music. And so when you sit down and decide to write a song, how does that process all start? Do you have like a ritual or maybe like a certain routine you go through or a certain place that you write songs or is it kind of different for everyone? Yeah. Thanks for the compliment. Um, it's, usually kind of starts with uh me just kind of fiddling around with a guitar and mm -hmm. finding finding you know a few things that fit together so you know i'll write on my couch late at night watching a baseball game like just noodling on the guitar or uh, in in my like office uh kind of just noodling on the guitar and then from there from there i kind of like find some lyrics to go with it and the lyrics i try to match with the the mood of whatever i found on the, the guitar is um, as as best I can, um, but it, it usually all, all, almost always happens at my house. I do pretty much all of it by myself. I'm not I'll, I co-write some, but mm -hmm. uh, you know, co-writing really for me it's kind of like I have a I've had some great co-writes, but most of the time it's like I write with somebody and then I'm like, all right, I think I can do better than what we did today. But it's like it gets you your engine lubricated, if you know what I mean. Like you're like, oh, okay, I think I remember how to do this now. Um, yeah, so. Um, what is the importance of kind of solo writing for you? Because, you know, in Nashville and just all around these days, you'll see songs with like, who knows, like eight, nine writers on them. Um, but I really think there's a lot of value and, you know, the simplicity of things of just a single person telling their story in a song. So what is the uh, draw or kind of what gets you excited about solo writing? I think it just moves my soul a little bit more. Like um, it's kind of like when you make a painting that you're proud of, or you build something that you're proud of, and you kind of did it by yourself. Like there's this incredible in feeling of an internal achievement, and knowing that you like got from A to Z on your own is like so gratifying. Um, mm -hmm. That's a big part of it, and also sometimes sometimes with co-writing, um, I've had some great co-writes, like I said, but sometimes it's like you know, um, if the other party's interested in settling on a phrase or a turn or something that just doesn't seem authentic or cool or earnest, genuine, whatever, um, it can be really, really, well, the song doesn't, the song doesn't do, do anything for me. So I'm like, mm -hmm. I, I can just do it by myself. And sometimes it's to my detriment, you know, but, um, yeah, yeah. I think that's really interesting. And I, that's where I get a lot of respect as well towards artists that can see that. When I was talking to Zane Williams, he, 
he kind of compared co-writing to just coming down to compromise. And at the end of the day, you know, an artist should do, or at least artists I respect usually do what they think is best for the song and the lyrics. And so I really respect that. First of all, you're talented enough to be able to do that on your own, but then also you're able to kind of find the value in it and just kind of be able to tell your story the way that you want to tell it. I really respect that a lot. And I think that's what makes good and honest and relatable country music at the end of the day. Thanks. That means a, that means a heck of a lot. I love what I do. It can be maddeningly frustrating, not just the writing, but the whole business side of it. Um, Absolutely. But I love it so much. Absolutely. So something I think kind of a lot of songwriters especially might struggle with is knowing when a song is done. So I've, I've talked to people who have spent like over five years on a single song. So to you, is there any indication or way that you're able to tell, okay, this song is done, doesn't need any more little tweaks or how, just kind of, how do you go about that process of knowing when to move on from a song and call it, call it done? For me, it's if I have three good verses and a solid chorus. Um, mm-hmm. Those are the kind of songs I like to write. I like to write vignette songs where it's kind of three different short stories, but one uh, kind of theme that kind of brings them together, or three different pictures, and then one thing that brings them. That's kind of my indicator. But really, it's almost like a gut check. It's like, yeah, we got a good one. It's like fishing. Like, yeah, we caught like a big bass. You know, like it's that mm-hmm. kind of feeling. But um, that's not all the time. Sometimes it's like. Uh, you know, it's funny, like after a record comes out, you can listen back and be like, I might have done this differently or that. But at the same time, that's just life, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's that's great. So to you, is there a most important thing to consider when you're writing a song? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> I know uh, it's hard. I don't know how I'd ever answer this stuff, but... No, that's a great question. Um which I appreciate. Uh, I, you know, a lot of people would probably take into fact, like, you know, are people going to, you know, there's a lot of artists out there that are, or maybe they're more like stars, but they're like, is this going to be a song that gets everybody pumped up, you know, or is this going to be like a great crowd pleaser, a great opening song? I don't think like that. I think mm-hmm. like, I want to catch a guy driving down the highway and, you know, make him feel something or make mm-hmm. him feel better about something or make him relate to something or think or guy or gal think oh I've been there before or um that that's that's like my that's what I love about it cuz I love when that happens to me it's it's an incredible mm-hmm. feeling yeah I can't agree more that's one of the best feelings in the in the world when you're listening to a song and you can just be like either so you know sometimes it's not even like I can relate to that, like, or I've been through something, it's, oh, I'm there right now. And I think that's where country music is probably the strongest and the most useful and the most loved by so many people is it's just, it can connect with you in the moment because it's so good in providing those rich details and just those pieces of real life. It's not like pop music, you know, where everything's about, let's go out, let's, Let's have a good time. Let's go to the club, all that kind of stuff. It it goes through the painful moments. And I think that's really important because life is not all the happy stuff. There needs to be music to go along with the not so shiny parts. And I, I really like that 
about country music and your music as well. Yeah, that's really well said. You know, it's funny, like, um, it's like country music is tangible, like mm-hmm. it's accessible. You can reach out and touch it. Like, you know, the band, The Killers. Yeah. Like, you know, have the, they have that song like Dancer or, or Human. Like, oh, yeah, hu- yeah, Human, human yeah. Like, I love that song, but like, there's so many pop songs you're like, what the fuck are they talking about? You know? Like, yes. So confusing. Um, but I like in country music that it's just so, it's so relatable. It's so much closer to the human experience without being like, I have no idea what kind of acid trip this pop singer's on right now, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So another little songwriting feather you have in your cap is uh you wrote a little song called gulf moon which was cut by kenny chesney so when you wrote that song did you have any feeling at all that it was special or clue that it'd become kind of what it was and get that get cut for that record i didn't i knew i knew that when i wrote it i knew it was a good song because i worked at it and i like carved and whittled away at it like it was like a sculpture almost like a and I don't, I don't mean to sound arrogant here but it's just like I worked at it and worked at it and worked at it and um I put it out on a record and was like yeah it's a cool song it sounds real pretty I mean this is also this is like seven years ago so my mm-hmm. memory's a little foggy but I remember some people starting to tell me like man that's a great song or that's a great song like my buddy William Clark Green he mm-hmm. texted me one night six years ago I was like my sister just sent me the song you wrote and it's incredible and I was like oh you know so I started to kind of get some people telling me it was my you know my wife was kind of like I think this is a special song and I was proud of it but um the journey from writing it to getting it cut it was a long like a it was like a six five six year process it was pretty wild ups and downs and cancellations and then then it was happening again it was just kind of a wild deal for me yeah absolutely that's and that's so interesting just how that period of time can kind of go and you know the song almost gets a new life um and it's kind of just brought back into the spotlight a little bit i really like that i think it's really interesting and then i also really like the fact that you know kenny chesney wasn't like i need to have these three nashville songwriters from this publishing company on my record writing all the songs for it. I really like that he was able to branch out, you know, get some Texas in there because honestly, at the end of the day, I really think if you're looking for real country music, the Texas scene is where it is found these days. And so I really, I was really happy to be able to see that, you know, real country music was being able to be brought back into the spotlight a little bit. I thought that was a really good moment. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> um, I was grateful because I don't have a publishing deal. I only mm-hmm. know about, probably know less than 10 people in Nashville. Yeah, like I said, no, it's a completely outside song. Totally, totally rare circumstance. But honestly, like it's probably the, my most favorite thing that's happened to me since I've started doing this. You were talking a little bit about, you know, you've, you felt kind of a feeling with that song. Like it was something special and your wife felt something with that song how often does that happen with songs that you write um i'd say like for me to um want to go all the way to the end and like work on it and whittle at it and get a song all the way there to the finish line usually i usually feel something pretty special about it but honestly and there's been other songs i've written where i'm like this is a this is a great song and then 
you know, maybe it doesn't kind of take off like I hope it hope it might. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, there's a there's a there's a couple when you're when you're there, and I I've just written a uh, one that I'm like super super jazzed about. That's an awesome feeling. But you just you just never know. It's crazy. You know. Yeah, that's great. I feel like that would you know have to keep it somewhat interesting because you know. You you obviously write a lot of songs, but someday you never know what day you're gonna sit down and just come out with a piece of gold and just out of nothing there you go. I feel like that has to keep it pretty interesting for you as well. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's like like I said, it's like going fishing or going back to the well and hoping you get something. But mm-hmm. more, more often than not, you don't. But um, you know, that's the whole the whole thing's like a fun. It's like a fun game in a weird way. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it, I think. So this new album, Country Shade, it is it's just incredible. It's a record when I, I put on when I just wanna, you know, sit down, catch my breath, think about life. It's fresh and it's smooth. Um it's very consistent from song to song, but it also offers a lot of variety. That sounds kind of contradictory, I guess, but it, you just nailed it with this new record. And it's it's actually one of uh, two albums I bought this year before I even heard it. And before it was even released, I uh, pre-ordered it. It was that one and uh, Asha McBride's new album. Nice. Um, so you, you really got me hooked. Your music is just so real and relatable and it sounds good. Uh, so I want to start off uh, talking about the album by talking about the first song, The Country Doesn't Sound the Same. And I love every single word of the song. It's all so, so true. It's, it's pretty much like an anthem for the, the true country music fans out there. And in a way, it's kind of like a protest song, you know, against all the junk we see getting labeled as country music these days. Uh, but at the same time, it's also kind of mourning the loss of country elements in country music. So what was it like to write the song and put it out with all those ideas and conversations around it? Uh, it's definitely my favorite song on the record. Um, I love to play it live. I remember when I was writing it, I felt like it was something special. I remember like walking around my neighborhood one day and listening to the demo tape and just thinking, oh man, I feel like something lives inside of the song. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it, you know, it's maybe a little bit silly to make the first song on a record a slow, methodical, finger-picking song, but um, I just felt like it was the strongest of the bunch, and it felt like a song I wanted to play for a long time, so that was kind of the rationale there. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah. Absolutely. So what was it like, you know, because I feel like artists, you know, or, or at least, you know, for the whole Nashville scene, you... uh there's like the awards and, you know, everyone has to be kind of friendly to each other and there's not a lot of calling everyone out, but the song kind of, you know, calls out like you're making quote country music, but where the heck is the country part of it? So what was it like to, you know, be like, okay, I'm going to put this in the world and amongst your peers, you know, whoever hears it, hears it. What was that whole process like? Um, you know, I really didn't have any apprehension about putting that song out uh, or worrying about what what peers might think. Um, you know, I'm not I'm not I I got a lot of friends in the business, but I'm not I'm not necessarily here for them. 
Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it just felt like, uh, you know, felt like felt like the right song to write and and put at the top of the album. That's great. I I love that. I love that. You know, you're in it for you. It's something you believe in, and it's something you wanted to say. So you went out and you did it. And I like that. I think that's what makes good and honest music at the end of the day. You have to be able to will, be willing to do that. And it's, I, it's great. And, you know, Eric Church has that uh, new song out, kind of similar, um, Stick That in Your Country Song, which I guess is a, it focuses a bit more on the, the lyrics side of things. Um, it's, it's a bit more aggressive, I guess. It's, it's kind of angry. Uh, but I think it's an idea a lot of people, a lot of real country music fans and artists are really thinking about right now because just it seems like every day a new song, a new really bad pop song comes out under the country label, gets all this radio airplay, and just I think people are starting to get kind of sick and tired of it. So it's a sentiment I definitely identify with and I think a lot of people are starting to as well and that's I think a really good thing to see within the industry hopefully starting to turn back to the sound that made everything what it is in country music yeah for sure you know I think um you know people can listen to whatever they want to listen to but I think with country radio like a lot of the times and this is probably more about the country we live in and it's not a slight but country radio mass appeal, mass commercialization, those things all appeal to something I would consider as the lowest common denominator. Like, mm -hmm. what are the most people going to enjoy or find accessible? Well, it's probably not a song that's going to make them think or, you know, make them have to sit and wait. You know, what they say, get to the chorus, don't bore us. Or, you know, if you're not to the chorus in the first minute of the song, the song's a wash. Like, mm -hmm. um, that's all f f fine and well, but... uh it's just so nice that in today's world, people can they can tune out what they want and they can tune into what they want at the same time. Absolutely. And I think that's really something that's uh, kind of interesting about all of the streaming, the streaming services that are going on because now fans aren't necessarily as dependent on radio to hear new things. And they can seek out the music that they like to listen to, which I think in a way, you know, gives gives artists kind of more power and gives them a lot uh, more connection to the fans. Of course, you know, the, uh, the amount artists get paid with streaming is definitely not as good. But I do think the, uh, the ways art or fans are able to find artists that they relate with without radio and without that lowest common denominator and without the, uh, the mass appeal, I think that is something that's going to be really interesting to continue watching but i think it's you know as far as what it's already done i do think it's something that has helped out fans find kind of new artists that they can really click with who might not be mass appeal right on yeah well said now we're going to take a listen to the country doesn't sound the same off the new record country shade Music 
So uh, the second song on the record, Next Ride Around the Sun, um, that one says a lot about 
you know, making the the most of life amidst the chaos and the craziness going on. And man, what a time for a song like that to come out, like during this pandemic. Um, so how, first of all, how did that song come about? Uh, very similar to most of my songs. Just I was writing here where I'm talking to you now. And um, that second chord you hear in it, um, I don't even know what chord is off the top of my head, uh, but it just spoke to me and I just wanted to put it in the song and I kind of found this little melody lift like a da 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 um, like the nobody's got a day guarantee kind of a, that whole thing mm -hmm. and just felt like, you know, I, you know, this whole thing is an evolution for me and, and it getting better and I hadn't really done a vocal run like that in any of my previous songs and um, I just kind of chased it and, um, you know, that song went through some changes on the verses over the, you know, I've had that song in my back pocket for a couple of years, but uh, mm -hmm. it's really, really fun to play and sing, and uh, it's to the point. Absolutely. Uh, so, and you know, it's about making the most of life, you know, as I mentioned, amidst the chaos and the craziness. So do you think kind of this song... You, you mentioned you had it for a couple of years and, you know, it just came out with this, uh, this record. So do you think the message of the song paired with the pandemic going on has kind of given it a different or maybe not a different, but uh, a separate and newfound kind of message that's more important or kind of just gets the message across in a different way with the pandemic going on? Uh. Yeah, I definitely felt like a good first song to release, and I think the pandemic, and this doesn't sound good, but I think the pandemic like assisted in that song being the first single off the record. Mm -hmm. um, but the one thing about the pandemic is it's kind of magnified every single thing mm -hmm. in everybody's life, and I, I think a lot of artists right now, past and new music and old music, it's just... It's like wow, it just it just makes more sense in a pandemic in a weird way. Um, I think a lot of artists are are putting music out that's kind of like uh, it's hard to explain, but um, like I think about Charlie Crockett just put a record out called Oh Yes, Welcome that... to Hard Welcome to <laughs> Hard Times, and it's like um, you know I bet he was going to call that record even before that before the pandemic came out. I don't know for sure, but it's just. Like life's life is hard and life is beautiful, and the pandemic is showing that life is hard and life is beautiful. You know? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great album. That was, that was a great one to bring up. I'm, I'm loving that. I like the piano in that album. Oddly enough, kind of. I keep focusing on the piano. I think that really that really brings that album together. Right on. Um. So, yeah. And for me, with the uh, with next right around the sun, you know, in the chorus, it's it's talking about kind of spending time with your family and just making the most out of life with the people who are around you. And I kind of found that, that second meaning with, with the pandemic going on, you know, I, so I, I'm out in college in California, so I got sent home back in March, but it's really kind of been a, a blessing in disguise. And I've really been able to get a lot of, out of my, out of my days, just being locked in my house with my family the whole time and just, you know, doing puzzles, listening to records with my dad, mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff like that. It's, it's really kind of been 
a little piece of beauty in the darkness, I guess. And uh, I think that song really kind of helped me help show me that. So that was really cool. Right on. That's what I do before, but that's awesome that you're going to have that time. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, for sure. So man, this, this record has so many great songs. I love daylights burning second wind fool's crusade. Uh, they all, they all just have such great wisdom and storytelling and, you know, advice just about life and relationships and time and just it's it's just phenomenally done one song i really liked and i wanted to talk to you about is flight anxiety so uh tell me a little bit about that one and you know is it do you really have flight anxiety and kind of where did that come from well i always liked the idea of jason isbell when he did super eight motel super eight song on the southeastern record just because that was such a beautiful heavy heartfelt record and then all of a sudden the second to last song is this crazy a uh, song about, you know, I don't want to die in a Super 8 motel room, just to, like, t- give everybody a left turn. Mm-hmm. That's then, great, yeah. Yeah, and I felt like my record, especially this one, needed a bit of a left turn. But um, to answer your question, yeah, dude, I do have some flight anxiety. Uh, you know, I, I've i gotten a lot better with it, like flying commercially over land. I'm pretty much good to go, but there was a – like I will not I don't I won't get in puddle jumpers I don't like flying over water that much I mean I can handle it if we're going over to Europe or whatever I can handle it uh, Mm -hmm. really because it's pretty safe but uh won't fly private and won't fly don't like flying small planes over water I just it freaks me the hell out a little bit of claustrophobia um so yeah it's 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 a real thing and like some of those verses like I remember I was flying into Vegas one weekend and the the desert was so hot and that the heat's bouncing back off the the, the desert floor back up to the plane and mm-hmm. the plane was just shaking like crazy flying into Vegas and this woman was like grabbing my arm and I'm just like <laughs> I'm the raw guy to, to, to help you through this <laughs> um, so yeah there's some there's some factuality to it but it's just a fun it's just a fun song yeah absolutely and I love that um, I, I love that it does give the little glimpse of of humor and it's more upbeat and I think that it really you know ties the album together really well I mentioned it has it's very consistent from song to song but it also has the variety so that you know helps just bring it together because I think obviously great albums of all time and my favorite albums of all time they every song does not sound the same and they do have those those humorous moments aside you know to kind of offset those more heavy moments and i think that's a sign of a lot of thought that's put into constructing a very cohesive and intelligent album so i I really loved that one well thank you so much um so the the album closes with a song called grandfather's grandson which talks a lot about your place in the world and those who came before you and the consistent need for and the value of hard work and you know in each generation so why was this one chosen as the album closer uh i think the last song on the record's always i think it's the most special spot for um a song to go Mm -hmm. it's the least you know it's strange uh it's it's like the least likely it'll get heard in a weird way, but I just feel like there's something magical about that last spot. And um, I 
I like to have a little bit of a, a tail or an outro on my on on the last song of uh, records. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, I don't know if there's a good reason other than that. We were just talking about it in the studio. It just kind of felt like this should be the, it should be the last song, and um, you know, it kind of ties the theme of um, the changing rural America. It kind of loops in with the first song. Uh, country doesn't sound the same kind of well thematically mm-hmm. yeah i i love that and it, it does seem it just kind of makes sense in that spot it it punctuates i think the album really well and it leaves you thinking and reflecting upon everything you just heard really well now that you've heard all about grandfather's grandson we're gonna take a listen here it is Texas dream was a working man's scheme Granddaddy made good on the future he'd seen Eight hundred acres where the cotton was flush The oil was his before the rush And I know my grandfather's grandson And this land ain't getting sold off to no one While the turbines encroach and the city boys poach And the lights of town are approaching You know I'll be My grandfather's grandson The company men, they are back once again They're trying to buy up whatever they can But if they darken my door Another time more this shotgun in my life will be hard to ignore Cause I'm a here My grandfather's grandson And this land Ain't getting sold off to no one What the Businessmen see can't be taken from me, and one day it's my son's for the keeping. Till then, I'll be here. My grandfather's grandson.
as long as I'm My grandfather's grandson So the album as a whole, what do you think kind of sets this one apart and what makes this one different from some of the other albums and projects that you've released over the years? I think this is this is what I would consider an art house record. Um, it's uh, um, I think my last record was called my last record was Proving Grounds and it um, it's probably my favorite record actually I've done. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one felt more of like a like a you know you go to art house see art house film it's a little bit more um a little bit more niche a little mm-hmm. bit more um artsy fartsy artistic in a way uh it's not exactly like a honky tonk record or a song you're going to hear on the speaker um a record you're going to hear between like the bands changing on the loudspeaker to show mm-hmm. um but it just the production of it um, was really kind of finely finely ta- uh, tailored. Um, yeah. So so yeah. That's great. So what what messages or ideas or themes are you hoping listeners get from listening to the album? Um, I think an appreciation for the here and now and the people in their life and. Um, the relationships they have with with love or with parents or children, um, and then also appreciation for uh, the country and um, time outside, time outdoors, um, uh, the natural world, if you will. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, do you like to do kind of outdoor stuff? What kind of stuff are you into like that? Yeah, I love being outside. Not when it's a hundred degrees outside, but <laughs> yeah. Um, um, man, I love swimming. Uh, I I just 
I think uh, rivers and, and lakes and being outside is just a ton of fun. Uh, you know, I like fishing, mm-hmm. um, honestly, but just sitting on someone's back patio and drinking beer and looking at the sky and having conversation, listening to music, um, it's like my favorite pastime. Yeah, that sounds like the the perfect night, day, anything. That That sounds great. I'm with you there. I love everything outdoors, hiking, you know, backpacking, whatever it is. If I'm in nature, I'm happy. And usually I've actually found, you know, country music and in nature and just being in the outdoors, being in the country, it, it works really well together. And I think it creates some pretty cool experiences. No doubt. No doubt. It's funny. Like you think of it, like you think of the sound of a guitar makes and it's like, well, guitar, you know, it's made of a tree. You know, it's just kind of, they kind of like work hand in hand in a weird way. Oh, that's really interesting. I really like that. That's cool. That's really cool. (laughs) I I, I might be just blowing smoke, but you know, there's, there's something very natural to it. Like you were saying. Yeah. I really like that. You know, I'm going to remember that. That's pretty cool. Um, so I also want to talk about, uh, this panhandlers record a little bit that came out. What was it? March? I believe I remember I just came came back to Oklahoma and man, I was just listening to that all the time. And that was when like, you know, quarantine really like started happening. Everyone went into lockdown, all the schools went home, all that thing happened. So the only, you know, way I could get out of my house was just driving around the countryside. And I was just always listening to this album and then the, uh, the Jesse Daniel album. Um, and it really just kind of, I don't know. I do this weird thing where I associate, specific albums and artists and just music with specific months and seasons and times and that just kind of that I guess forever will just be kind of the soundtrack to that period of my life it's really interesting but the feeling I know the feeling that's cool yeah and so I I I love this album um I was listening to it before I I hopped on here um so First off, I want to talk about just how the heck the Panhandlers came about. Uh, so the band is you, Josh Abbott, William Clark Green, and Clayto Cordero of Flatland Cavalry. So how did that whole thing come about? It started with Abbott. Abbott has had his eye on doing a kind of an Americana songwriter group project for some time, and that was news to me. But he called me when we were actually in the studio making Country Shade. Um and said, hey, would you have any interest in doing this? And, you know, I'm like, sure, you know, we'll mm-hmm. see if it happens or not. But I was like, sure, that sounds cool. And I don't really think it was anything more than just maybe let's get together and make a few covers of, like, some old West Texas songs. So I was like, sure, you know, let's get mm-hmm. on my back. You guys, are, they were all pals. It'd be, it'd be a lot of fun. And then one thing led to another, and we were, and we hired Bruce Robison to produce it, and then we took a writing trip, and then we came back, and we recorded 10 songs, 11 songs and um in like a period of 2 weeks and then it wow. was done. So it just it moved pretty fast. I mean, it was like one year to the day of us uh of us the idea coming and then the record coming out. Wow, that's really that's impressive like especially the uh you know, making a record in in 2 weeks. That's almost unheard of from what I know at least. That's that's yeah, really impressive, sure. but I guess it also, you know, makes sense because all four of you are huge and always on tour and four separate careers going on. Yeah. Um, 
It was pretty impressive, to be honest. I was kind of blown away at the organization and um, the speed at which it all happened. But, uh, you know, at the same time, um, I think if we did it again, which I we plan to, I think we'll we'll take a little bit more time. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So I love this album in particular uh, because of the songwriting. It just it expertly captures the scenery and the people and the lifestyle of West Texas. It's you know it's kind of like a concept record, except you know it's it's real and y'all live the lifestyle you you're describing and in the album uh, but it's just executed so well the lyrics really do paint a picture in your mind largely in part you know to your writing on the album so was there a different songwriting approach you took to write these songs which kind of very specifically fit this record and the themes of this record as opposed to you know just sitting down and writing a song that just pops in your head uh you know, we took a retreat out to Marfa. We took Josh's uh, bus and went out to Marfa for three nights. And honestly, we just drank a lot of beer and kind of messed around. <laughs> uh, but we had a good time. But um, and we wrote a few songs while we were out there. But when we when we came back, I think we had like ten days before we went in the studio, and we only had like four songs. So I was like, um, shoot, you know, we got to get we got to get a few more in there. Um, mm-hmm. So. Uh, I think, you know, like West Texas Girl I had already been started by a guy named Charlie Stout, who's a photographer and great songwriter. He'd already started that, and we kind of finished that while we were out in Marfa, but um, mm-hmm. Cap Rockin' was a song that I came home and, and wrote really, really quickly, and same with No Handle. I think bo- I wrote both those songs in like maybe an hour um, p- pretty fast because it was like, you know, I, you know, I I wanted to make a co- contribution to the record, so I was motivated. And um, mm-hmm. they're not—they're not complicated songs by any stretch, um, but just kind of got lucky with those two. Absolutely, and I'm glad you brought up Cap Rockin' uh, because that was a favorite for me during my first listen to the album. I remember—I uh, remember listening to the full album, and then Cap Rockin' came, the last song, and I just sat down and I listened to it probably ten more times, just on repeat. It's awesome. just that chorus. It, I love that chorus. And, you know, the whole song. And and I like how, you you know, earlier you mentioned with Grandfather's Grandson that that last spot in the album, I think Cap Rockin' fits absolutely perfectly right there. So what was it like, you know, writing that one? Thanks. It's a really tender and sweet song. Uh, you know, I have had this... Uh, like kind of idea for a song in my head about like a guy and a gal and they're just happily in love and I was trying to paint a picture when I was originally writing the song like maybe a year or two ago about uh, like them just having like a Saturday and going to the Walk of Fame in, in Lubbock and you know having an and that I never really could finish the idea mm-hmm. um, but I kind of that's why they always say like it's good to keep writing because you never know what you wrote a year ago that you can apply to something that's going on now Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah just trying to paint a picture of a guy who's real happy in his life um it's kind of like the opposite of no handle like no handle the guy's just like being sarcastic about his situation and like lampooning it almost and um cap Rockin's like a guy who's really happy with his place in the world and mm-hmm. um, the, sim- the simplicity that of the life he's built around him 
And it was it's a simple song, and I wrote it quickly, and it's got it's only got really like two, maybe two and a half chords. So mm-hmm. you know, just G and C. Yeah, I love, and I love. There's, I think there's a, a beauty in the simplicity. Honestly, you know, a lot of times people are looking to show off, you know, random vocabulary or just you know do all these tricks and bells and whistles and just make it over the top which you know it that that can be good sometimes but just as good as that is is just stripping it all the way back writing a simple song and still having that same impact it's almost like you don't always need all of that extra stuff on top of a song if it's great and it's two chords it's still a great song and i love it yeah, thanks. You're you're right. I I sometimes fall victim to the to the vocabulary thing, or I have in the past, and I'm I think I've outgrown that a little bit. But um, yeah, man, there's something about two chords or three chords in a song, and um, it makes it easier to write. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I bet. And here is one of my favorite songs of the year, "Cap Rockin'" off the Panhandlers' debut album. Say there's nothing to do here But stare up at the sky Listen to the wind and pray the day goes by Without a heat wave from the desert A tornado from the north A dust storm that only ever blows back and forth Say you gotta be a farming man or a roughneck on the rig Say either way it's your own grave to dig Well I have found a way to live without paying such a price And I have made a home in this country paradise Gonna do a little cap rockin' Slow talking, walk of fame, walking with the one I love. Gonna do a little county fair and be a cattle baron till I see them stars burning up above. I'm gonna do a little cap rocking. Got 40 pristine acres, my own slice of life. An angel from plain views bound to be my wife. Front row seat, the sunset, a truck that just won't quit. Cask in the back that's about to be moonlit. Gonna do a little cab rocking, a little. Slow talking, walk of fame, walking with the one I love. Gonna do a little county fair and be a cattle baron till I see them stars burning up above. Gonna do a little cap rocking.
sister had her fill and took her family east to Dallas. Bought a home in a city that looks like Crystal Palace. She swears I love the neighborhood, I should consider moving there. Hate to break it to you, sis, but I ain't going anywhere. Gonna do a little cab rocking, a little slow talking. Walk of fame walking with the one I love. Gonna do a little county fair and be a cattle baron till I see them stars burning up above. Gonna do a little cab rocking, a little slow talking. Walk of fame walking with the one I love Gonna do a little county fairing Front porch rocking cheering Till I see them stars burning up above Gonna do a little cap rocking Say there's nothing to do here But stare up at the sky Listen to the wind And pray the day goes by uh, So what was the recording process For this album like? Because, you know, you're used to recording with just you so what's it like figuring out all the different vocal parts and arrangements to you know properly capture the essence of all four of the artists and still make it sound good and cohesive what was that like because that sounds like a major challenge yeah it definitely is a major definitely was a major challenge and um I'm I'm not 100% sure we got it exactly right, but there's always the next record. Uh, you know, it's a lot. There's a, there's three other there's four four singers in a room, and the guy that's producing it is a, a singer and a world renowned and nationally renowned songwriter. So mm -hmm. there's a lot of a uh, lot of personalities, a lot of cooks in the kitchen. Um, you know, we just kind of work through it piece by piece with each song and. Um, Everybody kind of picked a verse and sang it, and if they didn't like it, they'd redo it. Um, uh, and, you know, some songs might have been serviced better by just one guy singing or two guys singing, but at the same time, like, not to sound like an eighth-grade student, but it was, like, literally a group project. So mm -hmm. um, it's great to have group involvement. Yeah, for sure. So you mentioned hopefully there, uh, there will be a Panhandlers 2 um and from a fan's perspective ab absolutely yes please 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 um so do you do you, have you any of you all talked about that you know in depth about what that'll look like or do you personally have any hopes for what that'll look like and where the music will go from here um we've talked about it we've had some discussions we've have a text thread and um honestly if the pandemic wasn't happening. I have a feeling we'd probably be in studio right now. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, working on it. But, you know, we 
we only recorded 11 songs and 10 of them made the record so we have like and then we have a few left over from the writing retreat so we probably have like close to half an album's worth of material maybe even more mm -hmm. um but it's just a matter of when we get back in to do it and um i think the group still wants to you know when all this madness ends get back out there and tour but um it really hasn't gotten much farther than just having having conversations about it yeah absolutely and that that is something i'd love to see when all this ends a panhandlers tour i know uh next month there's a, or not next month in a few weeks actually out up here in oklahoma and uh stillwater i'm gonna get to see william and uh flatland cavalry um but man panhandlers i want to see y'all live bad that would be uh great so speaking of the pandemic what has that been like for you of course you you have a new son right 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 so what has the the plunge into fatherhood been like and all that in the middle of the pandemic yeah it's honestly it's been awesome um he, he's six a little over six months old he, it's been really really cool in a weird way it's been a blessing because i've been home and mm -hmm. i've been on the road and like I, I would love to be working right now um but you know i see him every day i spend a lot of time with him and I'm, I'm super grateful for that. And it's sort of strange to have this like forced excuse to like, you, you must stay home and chill with your son. It's kind of like a, <laughs> it's seriously a blessing. Yeah, absolutely. So have you been riding much? Uh, not a ton. Um, it actually, you know, I, I've I, I probably have like since, since March when all this went down, I probably have like, um, Maybe four to five new songs. Um, mm -hmm. Probably one or two that I'm really excited about, and then you know three or four that need a little bit of TLC and some spit, you know, some spit shine on them. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, when all this ends, any any plans for what you hope to do, or any side projects, tours? What are you hoping to? Uh, to move on with when all this hopefully ends one day. Yeah. Um, you know, I plan to get back in the studio soon and I'm, I'm hoping to record just a couple songs and make like a seven inch split. Oh um, yeah. One on each side. So that's, that's kind of my, my first plan. Um, and I plan to do that sooner rather than later. Um, uh, I would love to play some, some full band shows. I'd love to keep doing my acoustic duo acoustic shows. Mm -hmm. Um, Europe is definitely on my to-do list, um, but I'll probably push that out for another couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, and some panhandler, some panhandler shows, and to make another panhandler record would be would be awesome. Absolutely, that would be really really great uh, for all the fans out there. With that, I want to thank John for talking with me. His perspectives on the way music is made make him an artist and a songwriter I really respect. Be sure and check out his new album, Country Shade, wherever you listen to music. And as always, you can find me over on Twitter at OKCountry1 for daily country music conversations. Go listen to some great music, and I'll catch you next week. Mm -hmm.